Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Dr. Kathleen Locker. Dr. Locker earned both her master's and doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Denver Graduate School of Professional Psychology in Colorado. She works with children, particularly with young children and their caregivers, as well as adults and couples. Her special interests include attachment therapy, parenting skills, and boundary setting. She helps parents understand how their own parenting impacts their identity as a caregiver, as well as helping them understand their child's needs and develop a deeper connection. Today, we talk about attachment parenting and her approach to helping parents achieve secure attachments with their children. Welcome, Dr. Locker. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be on as well, because I'm so interested in your focus, which is on parenting and attachment. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out a way to begin. I mean, I, I actually became interested in you and the work you do by, I learned about a group that you actually are holding soon. Maybe that's a good way to start off kind of talking about that group and what your goal is and, and the process of that. Yes. So I'm piloting a group right now. I'm hoping to run it once a month, every six weeks. And it's going to be a group focusing on parenting skills, but in a very attachment-based way for parents who have young children. So zero to six, zero to seven-ish age, it's very geared toward toddlers and learning how to set boundaries, but in a very loving way, what language to use with your children, how to give them choices and autonomy in a safe way, and also about how to take care of yourself as a parent. So I guess the question is, what is attachment parenting? What is that for the listener who maybe doesn't know? Yes. So when we talk about attachment, it's really about the connection and attunement between you and your child. And attunement is just understanding that child's emotional experience and being responsive to it. And so oftentimes I'll have parents come into my office and say, my child is manipulating me. So for me, like understanding attachment is really about understanding like what are your child's needs and how can you meet those needs in a safe but loving way. And so for me, it's a lot of, there's a lot of reframing, right? Like your three-year-old, maybe manipulative isn't the right word, right? Maybe your three-year-old is exploring the world and trying to get their needs met and they don't understand the consequences of not telling the truth or asking multiple times and wearing you down, they're just learning what's the boundary. And so that's why boundaries are so important when we're talking about parenting and attachment. Right. And talking about attachment, why is attachment so important? Yeah. So attachment is the way that we learn to relate to everybody in our world. And we learn that from our primary attachment figures, which is our parents or our caregivers. And so what we learn from how our parents or our caregiver is emotionally responsive to us, teaches us what to expect in our relationships with friends, with other family members, later in life with romantic partners. And 
really creates a sense of safety and security in the world. It gives us our sense of self-esteem, self-worth, and confidence. And maybe we can talk about the different types of attachment styles. Yes. So there's multiple different kinds of attachment style when we're talking about parenting. And so there's secure attachment, and that's kind of what we're all striving for. And with a secure attachment, the parent is attuned to the child, emotionally responsive, and attunement is just the ability to understand and relate to your child's emotional experience and then validate that experience for them. And so this attachment style leads to children who feel safe going out and exploring the world around them and are able to then come back and know that the parent will be there when they are ready or need them. And this doesn't mean that this parent is always saying the right thing, always understanding the child in the perfect way, but more often than not, this parent is emotionally connected to and responsive to their child. And then we also have insecure attachment styles. And insecure attachment is broken down into three different categories. And so there's insecure avoidant attachment. And so with avoidant attachment, that child is going to be much more independent and not seek out the caregiver for the emotional support because they know that the caregiver is not going to be emotionally available to them. And so we see kind of a, an age inappropriate independence in toddlers and young children with an avoidant attachment style. And then there's also an insecure ambivalent attachment style where the child is very anxious, unsure of how the parent is going to respond. So they might feel a little bit clingy or needy because they're actively seeking out the parent to get their needs met and they're not sure whether that's going to happen or not. And then we have disorganized attachment. And most often disorganized attachment comes from a place of trauma, neglect, abuse. And so oftentimes with disorganized attachment, the child is in a situation where the caregiver or the parent is actually the source of the anxiety and the fear. And so the caregiver is then not able to soothe the child because they are the source of the distress. And so with disorganized attachment, we often see children who are very dysregulated and are not able to be soothed and don't really know what to do with their own emotions. Got it. So Parents probably say, I want a securely attached child, (laughs) right? And so I wonder if you often get the question from parents, how do I do that? How do I make sure that I create a healthy attachment style in my child? Yes. And so essentially I kind of see my role in a lot of ways is kind of translating, right? And helping parents understand what their child's actions are telling them. And so a child's tantrum, right? It's not always necessarily defiance or opposition, right? Oftentimes they're hungry, they're tired, they are upset, they're having a long day. And so kind of my mantra with parents is we always okay the feeling that doesn't mean the behavior is okay, right? And so it's really about focusing on 
helping your child identify what their feeling is. And so the child understands both how to then communicate that feeling more appropriately and verbally, and also that their parent is responding to and understanding their emotional experience. Right. So it's this idea of acknowledging their experience, but at the same time, understanding how to set the boundary. Yes. And that is so important, right? And I have some parents who are great at acknowledging the feeling and saying like, you look really mad right now. It's okay to be mad. But then they struggle with the follow through and holding the boundary and saying, it's okay to be mad, but I can't let you hit mommy. Hmm. Right. And so, you know, we have to be kind of a container and like help them hold how they're feeling. And when a child is emotionally distressed or having a tantrum, they don't feel in control of themselves or their body. And they really need the parent to be the one to help them regulate and return to a state of being a little bit more settled, regulated. And so they're really needing that and seeking that from the parent, but we can still have parameters and boundaries in that space and saying, you know, it's okay to be sad. We can't throw our toy at our sister. So we're going to move and we're going to go into a different space. And then when you're ready, we can go back and play again. Yeah. And I guess the question is what happens if a parent, they can name the emotion, but then they can't set the boundary. So then you just have a child who's very dysregulated quite often, right? Because they're not having boundaries set on their behavior. So they're not learning what's an appropriate way to cope with their emotional experience. And children and even some adults, like we don't always know how to cope with what we're feeling. And so teaching children in early childhood is giving them such great tools for later in their life to know how to manage their emotional experience. And so if a parent is struggling with setting boundaries, you know, I do a lot of coaching with them about some specific language they can use, and then also how to teach their child coping tools so that they are able to better manage their emotional experience when they get distressed. Yeah. And I'd love to hear more about the coping tools and also that specific language that you coach parents on. Yes. So, you know, the coping tools, it really is age dependent. A lot of it is teaching children like to ask for help or to ask for a break. So for example, if a child is building a Lego house or whatever they're building with their Legos and something's not quite fitting or working and they're getting really frustrated, I might coach a parent to step in and say, it looks like you're getting really frustrated. Do you need to take a break? Right. Mm -hmm. Teaching the child to step back, walk away. And then in that break, I have sometimes parents set up like a, a calm down corner and that can be like a little tent or a bean bag with like either stuffed animals or coloring, like very just like calming, soothing activities. There can be some books if the child's able to read but something, not toys, obviously, that are going to get them more dysregulated that are have loud noises or flashing lights or things like that. But so they can go to their calm down corner. They can take a break and walk away. If they're old enough, you know, I would say maybe around like four or five, we can teach them like some breathing 
skills two and three, that's kind of a hard concept to understand, right? But so we do belly breathing where it's like, okay, put your hands on your belly and fill your belly up like a big balloon and then blow the balloon out, right? Where it's like, we're teaching them like that deep breathing and those tools. And then I also do kind of a modified like progressive muscle relaxation with them where I'm like, okay, make your body so, 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 so tight. Like it's really stiff board. And then we're going to go soft like spaghetti. And then we kind of do that back and forth where, you know, I'm walking both the child and the parent. And then I, you know, it's really important that the parent practices those things when the child is calm and regulated so that when the child becomes distressed or upset, they're able to say, oh, should we do stiff as a board, soft as spaghetti? Should we take some deep breaths? Do you need to take a break? So that the child is able to utilize those tools. And it's not the first time they're practicing it when they're already really distressed. Right. Yeah. It's, I think of it as the parent, as a facilitator to help the child regulate themselves. And in order for a parent to even think about facilitating, they need to be attuned to their child's needs. Right. And they also need to be able to regulate their emotional experience Mm -hmm. because if the parent is becoming distressed or dysregulated at the same time, the child is, then they're not able to be that safe container to help the child regulate because then everybody's upset. Right. And so to address your other question about some kind of specific language use, when I first started working with young children, one of my supervisors was like, we want to avoid no stop and don't. And I realized even for myself as a new clinician, you know, I don't have children as of yet how often I use those words when I'm interacting with, with kids. And it's really been enlightening for me how often kids hear the words, no, stop, and don't. And so part of what's important is number one, nobody likes to hear no. It's a little bit triggering. They, it escalates the situation and they're hearing it constantly. And it's not telling them, you know, for example, if we say stop hitting, They know not to hit, but they don't know what the appropriate replacement to to do is instead. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, instead of saying, don't hit, we're going to say, I need you to keep your hands safe. And so it's a huge shift for a lot of parents because our go-to is don't do that. That's dangerous. Stop. No, you can't have that. So if your child says, can I have sprinkles on my waffles for breakfast? Oh, you want sprinkles on your waffles. You know what? That is a really fun idea. Let's put sprinkles on our ice cream after dinner. What do you want? Syrup or butter on your waffles? So I've essentially said, no, you're not having sprinkles on your waffles without even saying the word no. Mm -hmm. And the child is going to be less triggered by that response because they're hearing they're going to get sprinkles, but then I'm redirecting them and saying, not at breakfast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's this idea of there's a better choice. Right. But I think in sometimes parents have to say no though. Yes. When it's a safety issue, you have to say no. And there are some kids who are going to be a little bit more insistent than others. And so sometimes you have to say no, but there are a lot of times that you can avoid it. There are a lot of times that you can say no without actually using the word. And I think you bring up also a good point that this takes practice. A lot of practice. 
And so this idea that I think a lot of parents are very hard on themselves of like, I didn't do that right. I said, no, I should have approached it differently. Maybe can you talk about kind of parental care and giving parents ability to make mistakes sometimes and what that looks like and how to move forward from that? Yes. So I think in the same way that we want to give our children grace to have a bad day or feel a little off or be kind of grumpy, we have to also give ourselves as adults or parents that grace. And it's kind of the 80-20 rule, right? Like 80% of the time we're aiming to have dinner on the table by 6 p.m. and everybody's sitting and eating together and it's a nice time. 20% of the time you're having cereal for dinner. That's okay, right? Because what's most important is that your child has a well-rested, happy parent, because that then is going to give you more and more emotional resources to be responsive and in tune with your child. If you're exhausted and tapped out and just burnt, you're going to have less patience with everything. And that's also going to mean that you're struggling to be patient with your child. And so if you snap, and get upset and say, you know what, just stop, don't do that, right? It's like, oh, okay, that's a good indicator that I need to take a break. And oftentimes when I'm teaching parents about coping tools for their children, it's also teaching them about like, oh, maybe I need to learn to like take a deep breath or take a break for myself. Mm -hmm. And so another way that I have parents work on coping tools for their children is by modeling doing it themselves. And so it's also teaching the parents, like, it's okay to tell your child, mommy needs to take a break. I'm going to go into the other room and I'm going to come back. And just taking that three or five minutes to yourself, as long as you know your child is able to play safely and not access anything dangerous, you are going to come back into that interaction in a much better space and be able to, again, be more attuned and in touch with your child's experience. But if you're exhausted, you can't do that for your child. And Mm -hmm. so it's so important to give ourselves grace as parents. And it's cliche, but it's the oxygen mask. When they talk on the airplane, like you put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on your child. Because if you're not filling up your own cup and doing things to make yourself feel better, you're going to run out of resources to give your child. And then it's much harder to get back to a place where you're like, okay, I'm feeling good and rested because you're just burnt out and exhausted. Yeah. But I think actually that's a great place to end in terms of bringing it to parental self-care and how important that is. Yes, it is so important. Even if it's just on Saturday morning, sitting in your bed and having a cup of coffee for five minutes before you go downstairs and interact with your child great. However you can build it into your schedule. So, so important. Like you are a person that is not just a parent and like, you have to also take care of you to be the best parent you can be. Right. Well, I'm curious for people who are listening, who might be parents who are kind of curious about this approach and strategy. I'm going to make sure that the information about you and the group that you have is on the podcast description. In addition to those resources, any kind of resources you often suggest to people who are interested in learning more? Yeah. So there's 
there's a really great book called The Whole Brain Child. And I think that that book offers a really great perspective on understanding your child as a whole and not just emotionally, but neurologically and behaviorally. And so that book, I tend to refer to parents a lot. There's also resources. There's a a specific modality, a therapeutic modality called parent-child interaction therapy. And they have on their website, they have like free resources and handouts. And oftentimes I utilize those with parents because they're very like user-friendly and digestible. Like it has the don't say no, stop and don't, right? And you can just print it out and put it on your fridge. And it's a great reminder of like some alternative language that you can use. So those are some resources that I tend to use pretty consistently. Those look great. Let's make sure that we'll put them on the episode description so the listener can um, learn more. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on. Any last words for the listener before we say goodbye? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember we're all doing our best and some days your best is going to be better than others and that's okay because tomorrow you're going to wake up and it's a new day to try again. Yeah, love it. All right, well, hope it's a good day. (laughs) Yeah, you too. Take care. Take care, thank you. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and nine offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.